The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. We're here tonight, tomorrow night, for one reason, is that we really believe we are coming out of one season to go into a new season, and we want God to do something in us so that we go into that season well, blessed, right, and productive and fruitful. And I tell you, it's really easy in transitions to, uh, to miss opportunities. We've seen people in the Bible do it. You know, they're in a time when God is getting ready to take them into something and they miss it. The children of Israel are the classic example. You know, they had seen the plagues. They had seen the provision in the desert. They had seen all the things God had done. Yet when time came to go into the new, they, did not, they lacked the courage to do it. And so many times we've gone through a lot in the last two years. And we know that God is doing something in the world and the globe. And yet you can feel a lot of things that want to push against you, discourage you, divert you, just even make you feel weary or frustrated. And yet at the same time, deep in your spirit, you know that you know God's doing something. And I really need to connect into that. So we really want to connect into that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Good job. And so... I got so many calls in the last two years or WhatsApps or all of this stuff, and it would be from various parts of the world, and they say, what do you think God's saying through COVID? And they so COVID was coming, and we're all shut down, and we're all, what do you think God's saying? And then, then it would be all, like all the division we started having in the U.S. And it'd be, what do you think God's saying through all this uh, infighting that's going on? And then it would be when COVID continued, you know, you think, oh, we're going to get out of COVID. But no, here it is still. And here it is still. And here, what do you think what's happening with this? Then it would be with our supply chain problems and our workers problems and our inflation problems. What do you think? I mean, it just, it literally, then you get war. It literally felt like you think things are stopping, but they keep going. And it gets more and more to where it is like, Almost, there's so much going on, you're not sure what to say to it all. And I, and I really thought, what are, what are people saying through all of that? What are people that are seekers of God saying God is saying through all that's happened in the last year? Some people are saying God is shaking the whole earth, so everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And that is so that you will stand on the kingdom instead of standing on all your false securities. And so how do you respond if God is shaking the whole, you humble yourself. He says, you know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. That's what you do. Well, so other people say the hour is growing late. And so all the things that God said are going to come upon the earth, they're coming on the earth, but it's picking up pace. Ever since the turning of the century, you just see one thing after another thing just keeps coming and coming, and the pace is going. Well, what do you do if the hour is getting late? What did God say in the word to do? He said, stay awake, pray, so that you don't get caught in it. He said it over and over again. When you see this, don't be afraid, but don't get caught in it. 
You know, you need to pray and stay awake so that you can keep your eyes on the Lord, your faith on the Lord, your, because all this can beat you down, right? Other people say, well, this is a time of great transition. There is a time when God is really, new things are going to become. God is seeking to begin to move in a new way, and he's beginning to want to do. So what do you do if this is a time of transition? You seek the Lord. You turn into the Lord. Because if God's getting ready to do something new, you've not been this way before. So you need to begin to hold on to the Lord because you don't know where to go or how to get there. So we need to begin to hold the Lord. Some people say God is humbling humanity. That we are being confounded by all that's going on. We put our hope in all of these modern things to take care of us, to lead us, to guide us. And yet it's still confounding us. And so God is beginning to bring us to the place that we realize our human things will not get the job done. So if God is doing that, what do you do with that? You bow down. And you turn to the Lord and you realize we need you. You, you, you get what I'm saying? No matter which conclusion you go to, they all point us in the same direction. We need to turn to the Lord. We need to allow God to begin to lead us and take us forward. I honestly believe that the church is to be the priesthood of the land. And so we're going to receive things to give to the land that the politicians won't, the media won't. Uh, other people out the business community won't the church is supposed to do things when our nations are being upturned that no other part of society can do because we are the priest of the land so if we don't seek God if we don't humble ourselves if we don't begin to respond and move with what he's doing then nobody else is the politicians aren't the business community isn't the media isn't and you realize that the times that they didn't respond to God when he was moving were not good. It was not good. You realize that was, that was catastrophe. That was bad. That was something we want to avoid. So I come to this place and I'm saying we start seeking the God. And one of the things as you start seeking God, as you start going after God, and you start realizing there are strange things happening, God is seeking to awaken his people, to draw us deeper into himself. So one of the key questions for me becomes, how do we put God first? You know, it's kind of like you get busy, you've gotten distracted, you go about your life, you kind of have God on the peripheral of your life, but now everything's shaking, everything's are going on, we can feel wave after wave after wave, and we start becoming aware, I need the Lord, I need to seek the Lord. One of the first things, he always come back to me. He always calls, come back, as though you, there has been a departing, now come back to me. Put me back as your first love. Put me back as the, your greatest priority. How do we put God back into a place where he's first? Sincerely, in our hearts. Not just we say it. A lot of people say, oh yeah, God's first. But their life doesn't show God's first. So I, I want to, I just really want to, ask that question and then dig into it for a minute. How can we put God back as first? There was a guy who wrote a book a long time ago named Stephen Covey, and he wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Most of us have heard of that book, and one of the quotes he had in the book, he said, as a longtime student of life and time management, 
I am personally persuaded that the essential of best thinking in the area of time can be captured in a single phrase, organize and execute around priorities. Do not be led by pressure, he's saying, be led by priority. And he's just saying anybody that really moves forward, they have their priorities and they make sure their priorities get done. They're not being led by the pressure and the problems they're facing. Another guy uh, named Gray, E.M. Gray, wrote The Common Denominator of Success was the book he wrote. And he spent his life searching the one denominator that all successful people share. And he found it wasn't hard work, good luck or astute human relations, though they all were important. The one factor that seemed to transcend all the rest was putting first things first. Whenever you think about what God talks to us about, he really does call us to put him first. Because whatever is our priority, we change our schedule to make sure we do our priority. It captures our passion. It's what we'll sacrifice for. It's what we will defend. It's what we will work hard to keep moving forward in. Whenever we're off track or feeling like we're lost a bit, we go back to our priorities and start doing those again. It's, you know, if it's, if it's our job is our priority, if we think our, my main purpose on this earth is to provide for my family, then I will fight for that, defend that, sacrifice for that. That will be what is really captures my heart. If it's my kids or making money or myself, whatever it is, that begins to become first thing. That's what we focus first and foremost. But as a life of a believer, it's really clear that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were bound for hell. We had a sin nature that could never live to please God. Jesus Christ came to die for us, to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of his Father. He not only paid our debt so that we could become sons and daughters of God, and we could have direct relationship with God, but he also gave us his nature so we don't have to be a victim to the sin nature. And then he also washed us clean so that now we are not only sons and daughters, but joint heirs, and we have a new nature so that we can live in victory and fulfill purpose that we were created for. And then you say, so what should be my priority? The one who did all that for me. That is life change. That is destiny change. That is everything change. And so he's given his life for me. He's the creator. He's the one I'm going to stand before at the end of time. He's the one that put me in this time in history and for some reason felt that I had a contribution to bring to what this time in history would unfold. So God, who knows me before I was in my mother's womb, God, who died for me and loved me, he said, I didn't even choose him. He chose me and appointed me to bear fruit. He has so much more knowledge about who I am and what I am to be than I even have of myself. And he makes this sacrifice and he's saying, seek me first and I'll take care of everything else. He tells us that. But you realize that most of us live our Christian lives where God is more of a Sunday thing or a peripheral thing, and it's real easy to just get caught up in the, the day today. And so God is not high on the priority list. So we're looking back and we see that other things, you know, our own comfort and ease can become even a greater priority than God. I mean, I've, I've faced that at times in my life and realized I'm living more for my comfort and ease than I am to pursue God's will. And I, I had to admit that to him. 
So I want to look at why is it important that we really come back to where God's first with our time. And then I want to do that because I want to call, I'm calling us in. If we can put him back first, God can begin to lead us into what he wants to do in our lives. And I want to look at that tomorrow. But God's got to be what we're going after or we're all going to just wander. Amen. Putting God first is vital because it's like, all right, I know God should be first. I agree with it. Probably no Christian in here would disagree that God should be first. But sometimes it still doesn't make us put God first, right? So why should we? Why should God be first? First thing, it enables us to establish a firm foundation to build our life on. Our lives will be built on a foundation and storms will come into our lives. Challenges will come, crises will come, devastation will come. The Bible told us over and over again, you will face trials and tribulations because this is still a sin-stained world. But what matters when our lives face those is what foundation they are on. Because we need to know where are we finding our peace in the midst of a storm? Where is our refuge and our shelter? Where is the power and the wisdom and the strength that we're going to draw upon? Where are we going to anchor down so that even when the wind and the waves are crashing us, that we are being held firm? Exodus 20, 2 through 3 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Whenever you... Do, God is saying, put me first. Because whatever you put first will be your foundation. It'll be what you're looking for peace from. It'll be when everything shakes, what you're running to. Some of us run to our own wisdom when things shake. We get problems, we're trying to figure it out and manage it. Others of us run and try to make sure we got enough money or enough this to secure us. And he's saying, make sure that I'm your foundation. Because things are going to shake. The bottom is going to drop out at times. And if I am your foundation, I will carry you through that. And he even promised in Romans that even the bad that's happened, I will make sure you get through it to the other side and I will even bring good to your life. Matthew 22, he tells us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said this is the first and the greatest. This is the most important thing. I mean, I don't think Jesus could make it more clear than that. Loving me has to be the aim of your life. And you know what it really means to love him? Not just say, I love God. It's that my heart trusts him. My heart is yielded to him. I really believe his will is better than my will for me. I really believe he is good. And even though I can't see how we're going to make it, I know that he is faithful as he was to Abraham. He's faithful to me. And I love him, I trust him, I believe in him. Here's what he said in Matthew 7. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. I, I feel like in the last few years, and I don't know how many, I'm not trying to add it all up, I feel like lots of things have been shaking that could shake. And it's before COVID, before that. And I know some of you, it's before that. You know, you've had a loss, or you've had a betrayal, or you've had a 
a change in your life. And you realize, I, I honestly believe God is saying all that that's happened. You could get bitter. You could get discouraged. You could give up. You could sit down. You could do this. You could do that. You could do all those things. But if you will put me first, I will not only carry you through, but you're going to stand strong and you're going to rise up. I have seen so many people lose their fire, their passion, and their purpose for God and for life because the storm stole it from them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on. We can blame people, but it's not people that stole the passion. It was standing on a foundation that couldn't hold us. It's not people. He told us you'll face tribulation. You'll face disappointment. You'll face hurt. If Jesus, Jesus even said, if they've done this to me, they're going to do it to my followers as well. And I'm saying to you, as everything shakes, we need to put God first, because that's the only thing that will give us a foundation that can weather. Because remember the Bible says that as time gets later, the love of many people will grow cold. What does that mean? The world's going to get more selfish, hateful, sinful, difficult. What does that mean? More people are going to feel hurt, disappointed, discouraged. When I hear that, and the Lord is, is saying to us, what's going to help us stand against that kind of stuff? Is Jesus Christ. Only as we stand upon Jesus Christ. I feel like the Lord is calling me into deeper and deeper trust of him taking care of me and not, doesn't matter what anybody else does. I need to walk out what he's calling me to. The second thing is that when I really put God first, it will help free me from idolatry. Putting God first means to keep our lives free from idolatry. Anything that we love, treasure, prioritize over God, even good things like our kids or a person can become an idol to our heart. Have you ever seen young people fall in love and they think they found somebody that will take away all their hurt, all their, and you know, it's not going to be that way. It's that's a person can't do that. No person. People can't do that because they're broken and needy and all of that as well. Idols keep us from God. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. An idol is something that either is keeping you back from God and holding your life in a bondage or it's something you're constantly in conflict with because you know you're not right with God because you're holding on to this. So there is this resistance, there is this battle, there is this struggle, and it always is making you miserable. An idol can never satisfy the longings of your heart. You'll never have enough money, enough status, enough pleasure, enough attention. It'll never be enough. An idol is torture. Bible calls an idol adultery. That you're literally prostituting yourself to that thing, that person, that want hoping it will fill up your heart. God sees idolatry as literally breaking covenant with him. He sees it as you're looking to that to do what only I can do. And it's, it's, you're going to a, a broken cistern, he would say, that can't give you water. Only as we keep, because our hearts are going to attach to something. 
That's just what hearts do. They're going to look to something to fill it. Something, a hope that that, if I could get that job, if I can get that kind of place, if I can get that encouragement, if I can get that, then I'm going to feel better. I'm going to feel, and he's saying, no, that's not it. I am the one that can fill your heart. I am the one that can begin to help you see who you really are. Your identity isn't in those things out there because they come and go. Your identity is in me. I knew you and I have purpose for you. And so only as I begin to put God first, do I not only find a foundation, but I find my heart not going to idols, but going to God. And I'm telling you, everybody in here, your heart will go either to God to be your security, your peace, and your hope, or it's going to something else because it won't be neutral. Third, when we begin to really seek God first, it will begin to align all other areas of our, of our life. Have you ever started to button a shirt and you start with the wrong button in the wrong hole? Who's done that? Anybody done that? And then it's all out. It's all out. You can't go out that way. You look like you don't know how to dress yourself. It's all out of line. Whenever God's not first, life gets out of line. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added unto you. I remember when Jonathan and I were, we knew uh, John Melinde, and he was telling us that in Uganda, when they were really beginning to try to fight for a breakthrough, God started telling them, you pray there, you pray about your problems, but and then your problems go away, then you stop seeking me. And he's saying, start praying your nation into my purposes, and I'll take care of your problems. And I learned a lesson when I heard that about things even in my family. Help lead your family into my purposes, I'll take care of your problems. But what they did is they just prayed about problems, so problem would come, problem would go. And it's basically playing like whack-a-mole. You know what that game is? It's like you whack one down, another pops up. He's saying, focus on me, and I will take care of these problems. But if you start focusing on the problems, you just feel drained, worn out, and weary. Focus on me, and I will lead you through, and I'll take care of these things. One time, I, uh, I, got a, I was in prayer, and God told me that my, one of my children he was 16, that he had been molested when he was eight. I mean, I just heard it in prayer like that, and I knew it was true. He walked around wearing black all the time. He wore, uh, he had long hair, and he had kind of a, wrote poems about death and all this kinds of stuff, and it was really dark and bad, and you couldn't reach him. And when God told me that, I knew it was true, but he wouldn't talk about it. He wouldn't open up about it. He wouldn't do anything. And all God showed me is if I keep trying to push him, all I'm going to do is cause him to close down, withdraw, and go more into the darkness. And I knew, but I, like, how do I fight for him then? Because I don't, I know he's in a vulnerable place. And God started saying, pray into trust. He was showing me, pray into my purpose right now. Because if you don't get into trust, you're going to push your son into the darkness more deeply. Pray into trust. I, most of my prayer was about me trusting God and my wife trusting God than it was even about the battle my son was in. 
I don't know why I knew that was the way I needed to go, but I saw in prayer that was the way to go. I still prayed for him. In three months, God broke through him, son. He, he just, his whole countenance, everything changed. And he's, I said, what happened to you? And he said, God just showed me to not marry any, not to date anybody until he showed me the woman I would marry. He was 16 at the time. He waited until he was 22 before he dated someone that he married. And I'm saying, I couldn't have asked him to do that. But God, no, you need some time to heal and be cleansed of what happened. You need some time to just not be in that situation. And God he leads worship. They, I've got three grandchildren from them. It's a beautiful way. But again, he showed me there's problems you got that you're trying to solve. And it's not working, but you keep going. And the only way you're going to see how is if you start seeking God first. Sincerely. We're going at trying to manage our lives, and we're not even being alerted to the fact our ways aren't working. Anybody got an amen? They're not working. And we say, why do I need to seek God first? I honestly believe Western Christianity is under great pressure. And if we don't humble ourselves, it's just going to decay more. And I believe God wants to call out a remnant of people that realize this kind of Christianity, living it where we just sing it on Sunday and then live in self-reliance, human dependency, walking in our human strength, our human wisdom, our human ways, and, and seeing our societies. I mean, literally, we're pushing God out of our society. Our kids are confused about all kinds of things that we never even had a confusion about, all kinds of problems. They're, we're facing mental health issues at levels we didn't ever know. All this is happening, and we're saying, why is all this going on? It's because there needs to be light, but, but Christianity that is human-based, human wisdom, human ways, isn't drawing anybody out there to it. Nobody's impressed with it because it just looks like people having their religious time. They're not seeing God manifesting in the midst of that. And you're saying, what do we need to do? Why do we need God first? Because we've got problems in our society, in our families, in our own lives that we can't solve. And you realize, we need to put him first. Because this way of doing Christianity is not getting anywhere. Amen. The eyes of the Lord are searching the whole earth in order to strengthen those hearts that are fully committed to him. How do we put God first? God in the scripture many times would establish patterns and times for people so they could commemorate, so they could focus on things. So they would have special days or festivals or feasts or all of these kinds. You know, so they had Passover. They had the Sabbath. They had the Day of Atonement. They had all of these kinds of things, just kind of like we have anniversaries and birthdays and special occasions. We gather our family around to commemorate and to connect and to really share love and all of those kinds of things. Well, God gave us a pattern that we could begin to keep him in the forefront. The one we are to gather on the Lord's day and we are to come and seek the Lord. The first day of the week he gave us that that is not. He even said that is to be holy. But he also gave us the first part of the day that we are to spend time in relationship with him. This to give God first place is vital and important. We were created to have a relationship with him. That's the why G Jesus came to make the re 
to reconcile us to God so we could have a relationship. It wasn't so we could have a religion. It was so that God could be our father and he could lead us. He could carry our burdens. You were never meant. Come to me, all of you who are heavily laden and weary. I will give you rest. We're, we're meant to be leaning into him. But so many times I hear Christians say, I don't have time. I'm so busy. I've got this. I've got that. I've got... We, we're saying God's not a priority. I can't really fit him in. So a lot of places where I, in, in America, they'll say, so I have my time with God as I'm driving to work. I hope you don't close your eyes. I mean, how are you going to really let go and, you know, all of that? It's like we put God in this peripheral place. So I, I thought about it. I asked beginners, not veterans, beginners, would you spend 40 minutes of God with God a day? I asked them for 40 minutes. William and I, we had, because we, we, we had a higher thing for us that were leaders, but I think it was you that came to me and said, we need to bring this down a little bit for people in the congregation. So we brought it down to 40 minutes, 20 minutes of reading the word and 20 minutes of worshiping and praying. So I calculated how much of it, someone's day is that? So go ahead and put that up. That's only 3% of your day. If you give God 40 minutes every single day, that's 3% of your day. I guarantee you, you've got time to spend with God. Somebody say amen. amen. I mean, you probably spend 40 minutes on some things that are non-essential. Like social media or television or whatever, whatever. You realize that 3% of my day and giving him that is not impossible to do. And I'm going to talk about how does it become meaningful and real. So let's, how do I spend time with God? This is basic, but it's, if God's going to be first, then that's the first thing I want to make sure is anchored into my life. So first, look at this verse in Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went out off to a solitary place where he prayed. There's five things I'm going to mention briefly in this to see Jesus' pattern. First of all, Jesus got up. For some of you, this is the most difficult step. You got to set the alarm clock and not hit snooze. You got to be intentional to connect with God. If you don't make a decision, you'll always put it off to the next day. I, Satan's number one strategy is tomorrow. All the time. It's whatever it is God's asking. I'll, I'll start that tomorrow. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. You've got to move towards God if you want to see God to start moving in your life. You've got to get up. For me, I had to deal with why am I not getting up? What's competing with me? I mean, like, we know God should be first. We know we need God. We know we need God in our daily life. So what is causing me not to get up? And I realized, for me, I really thought the only way I can relax is to watch TV. Now, this is a while back. So I'd watch TV, you know, like, let's say at a certain time at night, all the way till about 11 or 11.30. And I'd watch TV that long time because I, I, I've got to wind down. I've got to relax. I've got to do all of that. So if it comes... 6 a.m. or something like that to get up, I'm tired. 
because, you know, you don't, I don't go straight to sleep. So I realized I really believed the only way I could relax was with television. And yet I know, and I even knew then, that I find peace in God, not television. Sincerely, casting my cares upon God really does take the weight of the burdens off of me. Some of us, it's because of entertainment is what's drawing us away. Some of us, it's our responsibilities. I mean, we really think I've got to do this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And if I don't do that, I can't be a good mom, or I can't be a good husband, or I can't be a good this. But do you realize that with God, how much more he could do through you as a mom or a husband? Sometimes we just got to realize what's keeping me from being able to get up and spend time with the Lord. If you would really look at this and begin to go before God and be sincere, God can begin to give you where if you admit, I like this more, just owning it causes it to break. It's just, it causes it to where God, that's ridiculous. Social media is not helping my life in any way. I need you. Second thing is it says he got up in the morning. Psalms 5.3 says, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I will bring my request to you and wait expectantly. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Your mercies are new every morning. I've never had a consistent time with God until I made the first thing I do was to meet with God. I hear people say, I've got to exercise first or I never get time to exercise. Well, I really have said, if I don't spend the first part of my day with the Lord, then I won't, it usually falls to where it doesn't happen. If you say, oh, I'll do it later, I'll do it then, it always becomes inconsistent at best. Putting God first is the key. Starting your day with the Lord, it sets your day in a certain tone and attitude. You cast your cares, you bring your burdens, you lay your issues before the Lord, you call upon the Lord to lead you. It's in the quietness of that day, that in that moment that God can lead you into that day. It's not setting God first if he doesn't get the first part of your day. Now, I know some people have a different issue. I've got a daughter-in-law that she has to get up to go to work at four o'clock in the morning, sometimes five o'clock in the morning. She has two kids and all that. She has to try to work around that. But most of us, the first part of our day needs to be set apart to the Lord or we're really not giving him first place. Second thing, it says that without distraction, Jesus said very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place. It says, Jesus went away to an isolated place. Have you ever noticed how difficult it is to be without distraction? I think our smartphones today are weapons of mass distraction. They send notifications, text, this, all the thing. I mean, you're sitting there trying to pray, to worship, to read, and all of a sudden, you've got to read an email because it sent you this notice. Look you got this email. Oh, look, this is the score of the game. Oh, look, this is the headline of the news. Oh, look, you know, don't forget you played the game last night and you need to come back and play it again. I mean, they're sending you notifications for all kinds of things. And I realize if you don't put that away, then your time with God becomes so distracted. I, I wanted to say, as I prayed, and there's, I'm going to come to a point that I want to share something, but I honestly believe 
if we don't try to make this meaningful, that a lot of us can even spend time with God, but it, it's not meaningful. It's distracted. You can go to dinner with your family, and if you don't set aside your phone and your thoughts and your burdens, you're not even present. You can't hear them or even care for them. Distractions are real, and we have to begin to intentionally do things to limit them and put them away. I'm at Jonathan's house. I literally go down to the bottom of his garden. He has a little place there, and I go there to pray. I have no distractions. I want a place that I, 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 I have no distractions. I move around and go to places a lot. I'm always looking, where can I have a place that does not have distractions? I want to say this to you. I honestly believe that church people, there's a time that our hearts were on fire for God, but then we just started going through the motions at a certain point, and our fire has gone low. And we need to get back to the place that our hearts become his. You remember when Jesus said, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far away. He doesn't want our, just our lips. He wants our hearts. I want you to love me with all of your heart. This time we spend with God should be about my heart softening, my heart opening, my heart moving towards. Why do our hearts do that? Because the world out there beats us down. The disappointments, the struggles, the pressures, the difficulties, the hurts, the, the strains, all of that stuff beat on us. Where do our hearts find new strength? Where do our hearts get healed? Where do our hearts open up? It's in the presence of God. It's nowhere else. The TV doesn't do it. It just numbs you. The alcohol doesn't do it. It just numbs you. The busyness doesn't do it. It just distracts you. It's the presence of God that begins to cause our hearts to rise up and to believe, to have hope again, to have courage again. We are to engage our emotions when we go to be with God. So many of us are doing a dutiful service with the Lord. I'm fulfilling a religious function, but my emotions... My passions, my energy is not engaged. He said, I'm looking for people that will love me with all of their heart. We have a significant role in determining our emotions. Some people say, I can't affect my emotions. My emotions are what they are. But I say, whatever you set your mind on, your emotions will follow. I'll give you an example. I could watch a football match here and not be emotionally connected to it at all. But some of you, if it was a certain team, would be very connected to it because you know the players, you know their stats, you know even things about them. You followed them. Why? You've set your mind on it. You focused on it. You thought about it. You've read about it. You've been around it. So it stirs your emotion. There's a team I like in a certain thing, and, and they lost, and my heart felt heavy. Why? I don't know one person on that team. Because I'm connected to it. Your emotions are the fruit of what you have set your mind on and fill your mind with. Let me say that again. Your emotions are the fruit of what you have set your mind on and what you fill your mind with. If you set your mind on negative things, then your emotions are negative. If you set your mind on the things of God, then your heart burns for God. Your emotions right now today are the fruit of what you've set your heart on, what you've dreamed about, what you've fed your spirit. 
If it's been dark stuff, discouraging stuff, fearful stuff, that's the reason the enemy always wants to stir a negative narrative inside of us. He always wants to hit insecurities. He always wants to tell you that nobody's there for you. Nobody loves you. He always wants to tell you you can't do it and you won't do it. Why? So you will lose heart. And if you lose heart, you sit down and you go to God and you're dutiful, but your heart's not there. I tell you, for me, in prayer, the major battle is getting my heart to him. It's getting my heart to him. How do I do that? I have to pray into trust. You remember what this Bible said, that this, this is a fight of faith. Every day the enemy attacks your faith. He comes against it. Discouragement, hurt, doubt, fear. And I go into my time with God with the word, holding it up, beginning to proclaim it, praising God, worshiping God. What does that do? That begins to push back those dark thoughts and begins to remind me, no, my God is faithful. My God will not fail. There are songs I sing right now. I'm not singing them just because they're pretty. I'm singing them as a weapon against the things that are trying to attack me. And I pray into another thing a lot, and that is that my heart will be loving towards people because every day, the enemy wants to get me hurt, negative, discouraged, frustrated, whatever with people so that what happens? My heart shuts. You still here? It's my heart shuts. I realize that if my heart shuts, honestly, when I go to worship and my heart feels dead, I start humbling myself and saying, God, what's wrong? If I go to read the word and all I do is see words and the spirit doesn't burn in me, God, what's hindering my heart? What's closing my heart? A lot of times for me, it's I'm carrying burdens that I'm meant to give to him. But if we started coming there saying, God, if you got distractions, if you're just trying to worship God while you sit on the train, you're not going to be able to deal with real issues. You're just dutifully doing a religious thing. We need, I'm saying, if we spent 3% of our day sincerely to go after God, you'd be a different person in a different place with different things going on. Somebody say amen. amen. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How open is your heart right now? How soft is it? How much fire is burning in your heart for the Lord? And I, I sit here and tell you, the world out there will try to steal that joy and that hope and that peace and that courage and that faith. And the only thing that will renew it is the presence of God. Fourth, Jesus was alone. Matthew 6, 6 says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to the Father in private, then your Father who sees everything will reward you. If you're going to be a loving parent, a good spouse, an effective worker, a strong follower of Jesus, you need time alone with God. If you do this first, all other things will be added. How do I spend time alone with God? I'm going to just say this briefly, but clearly. Because I, I can't assume everybody's got it. The word is the foundation of your life and your heart. It's the platform of your praise. If you're not in the word, you don't have much praise to say to God. You don't even know what to hold up against the negative thoughts that want to come against you. It's what God's wisdom is higher than your wisdom. 
His word is life. It's a seed. It's a spiritual weapon. It's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It's not the stories that are the powerful thing. It's how the Spirit takes what God is, who God is, how he's done it, and begins to speak it to you, that it begins to do something in you. I remember reading where Jesus said, no one knows the Father but the Son. That one phrase I read, and I realized nobody knows God but Jesus, and Jesus came to reveal God to us. And then I thought, Holy Spirit, what did he reveal? And then it just hit me. It's just like it unfolded. He told us how to pray. Who did he say to address God as? Our Father. And then I realized Jesus never called God anything else. He never told anybody else anything else about. He only used the word Father. He didn't say our Holy One, Almighty One, Creator of heaven and earth. He just said Father. The only time he didn't say Father, and I even looked it up, was when he was on the cross dying for our sins. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I realized Jesus showed us God wanted to father us. That one word began to speak something into my heart. I was adopted. I faced rejection. My parents, my birth parents didn't want me, but my father knew me before I was even born and he created me with purpose. And I remember when I saw that, then that revelation started to come into my heart. How can I let you be my father? See again, what happened? That little phrase, no one knows the father, but the son. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the word of God. He takes something and he speaks it to you. And it begins to show you how to live it. If you begin to read the word, and you read the word for one reason, I want to know you, God, so that my heart can worship you. I honestly feel like you don't read the word to get principles or truths or all of that stuff or just to get this or that. You want to know God so that you can love him, you can worship him, you will trust him. The word will come just begin to pour out to you. God transcends time and space. He's perfect love. His faithfulness reaches to the heavens. As you begin to get to know him, it causes your heart to open up. It causes your heart to get healed in places that you didn't even know how to heal. It begins to bring a security that nothing out there can secure. It's like it even gives you a strength that even when other people are being wrong, I can still be right in love and in goodness and in grace, even though they're not. Why? Because he's got my back. I don't have to fear what they're going to do to me. I just, you seek God. Then you begin to, you do that for 20 minutes. Even just write down things you see about God. Wow, you're full of compassion. Wow, your mercy is unending. And you just seek that. You're not being, I want to know you. So show me who you are. And let me begin to be drawing near to who you really are. This isn't a duty. It's not a religion. It's a person I'm seeking. And then the next 20 minutes, worship him. Pray to him. I promise you, 40 minutes will go like that if you do that. Exalt his name. Speak well of him. Glorify him. Lift his name above those dark thoughts that are trying to pull you back down into despair. Before you begin, as you begin to exalt him, you will begin to see your spirit rise and your heart open. Lastly, Jesus was consistent. Luke 5, 16, he says, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Notice the pattern in Jesus' life. More important than reading the Bible for quantity, it was consistency that is crucial. Without consistency, you do not see results in any area of your life. 
How many of you have tried to do a diet, but you don't do it consistently? Does it work? No. How many of you try to exercise, but you don't do it consistently? No. Doesn't work. There is nothing that we do, whether we're trying to do a job and we get inconsistent. I guarantee you someone will come talk to you about your inconsistency. For Christians, our entire life is to be an intimate walk with God. But the intimacy is developed one day at a time as you set aside that time to be with him, to draw near to him. You may go and spend time with God and you realize the last three days have been dead as I'm with the Lord. What's going on? What's hindering our relationship, God? And he shows you, you got up unforgiveness towards your spouse and you realize I can't hold that I let it go and my heart opens to him I mean really the gauge for me is my ability to interact with God when that's hindered I know something's kind of gotten inside and is affecting me creating the lifestyle that begins to spend time with God day by day and I'm just saying three percent of your day that you give it to the Lord. As you begin to create that, then I say to you, God can begin to draw you into alignment to what he's doing in our day and time. God can begin to show you things he wants you to let go so that you can run the race and go to the new that he has. God can begin to restore your heart to where it's gotten weary and heavily laden and you don't even feel like you have the strength to get up. There are times when I felt like I don't know that I can go fight for another thing and yet I just start, I say, I've got to go alone and be with God. And I go along and get with God. Where do I get new courage from his presence? Where do I get new strength from his presence? I'm saying to you, we say, I want to be alive. I want to go forward. We can't do it without. This is the foundational piece. I need to start spending time. It's not just dutiful. It's not just the form. I need my heart to be given to the Lord. I want you to just ask the Lord, how do you want me to respond? I want you to just, God, I'm not going to make my own determination. How do you want me to respond? Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.